0: This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery.
1: Traditional strategy metrics around market share and unique patient growth, although that's very important and that's a big part of SG2, we're also saying maybe think about your customer acquisition costs, which you need to work with finance and marketing on. Maybe think about The lifetime value of a patient and how, if you capture this one patient, how much their healthcare spend will be able to come into your system versus another patient that spends very little on healthcare services.
0: Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. Today, I get my close colleague and practice mate, Cassie Rattler, to talk about some research she's been leading throughout the summer and fall, pivoting to a pretty new topic for SG2 how we're urging health systems to think more like an investor as there's more and more outside money, outside players, outside influence in the traditional healthcare provider space. Cassie, thanks so much for joining. You did something similar for an internal audience. It was a big hit. So I'm happy to take this to our listeners. Why did you think this was an important topic and an important focus for us right now?
1: First of all, thanks for inviting me. I love being on the podcast. Why this is very timely for healthcare leaders, right now versus maybe in the past is, one, the amount of activity that's gone on with the pandemic and the low interest rates, there was a lot of deals happening, a lot of investments, both from venture capital and private equity. And so much of that was oriented towards healthcare. One, because healthcare was very top of mind. And two, because healthcare is perpetually growing. As much as we lament the cost of care and how it continues to increase year over year, If you're an investor that's trying to consider options to grow your potential investment and you know that the number of dollars that go towards something have just been increasing annually for all of time it sounds like a good investment there's just been a lot of attention on that area in general and in pop culture that our healthcare leaders are starting to notice as well as the daily problems that they're weighing with revenue diversification With their own economic headwinds that healthcare organizations have been weathering over that same time period. Speaking of the news topic, the most recent thing has been the General Catalyst announcement. In October, they announced that they're going to continue to partner with health systems, which they've been doing. So they upped their number from about 15 healthcare organizations to 20. But the bigger news was that they're planning on acquiring a health system, which I think was a head scratcher for both. The VC world where they're coming from and the healthcare executive world. We're trying to unpack things like that at SG2 and understand, okay, how is this going to affect the bigger healthcare landscape? Who might be that health system that they're acquiring? We all love to guess since it hasn't been made publicly available to us. Other unique partnerships like what General Catalyst is trying to accomplish, more and more often we're seeing venture capital-backed or private equity-backed entities partnering with health systems, health systems being interested in partnering up with startups or becoming investors themselves. So there's been a lot of movement and you're hearing it in the news and seeing it in real life play out with various healthcare providers across the country.
0: The general catalyst announcement, I heard the same opinions as you, but it doesn't seem that different to me from Ryzen, from many... PE groups getting into whether it's specialty or primary care, they all see an arbitrage in trying to leverage expertise, shifting the value, and that they feel like there's some low-hanging fruit there where they expect expertise, competencies, and often tech are going to be enough to, even if it's only a couple percent, even if the pushback is like, who wants to own the hospital piece, they still see enough value there. It doesn't seem that dissimilar to me. Does it seem dissimilar? Is it just a bigger scale than the others? Why is it so different?
1: I think it's completely different, but I do see folks doing exactly what you're doing, comparing, especially with Ryzen because of the value-based kind of care, pop health, management, phrasing, and the people that work for General Catalyst or from health systems that are value-oriented. You've got Mark Harrison is the main front man. He's from Intermountain Physician. So, of course, there's that Kaiserish angle that they're playing. That's, okay, this guy's from Intermountain. What he's going to just do, Intermountain playbook in a different health system. It's very different. So when I think about Ryzen, I think, okay, you've got this gargantuan Kaiser that's coming in to take Geisinger to the next level that they just couldn't do on their own. Because Pennsylvania is actually really competitive. There's a lot going on in their state. Now they have scale to achieve more. But when I think about general catalyst versus the PE roll-ups, the fear is that they're just going to be a venture capital version of private equity where they're taking a bunch of assets and trying to squeeze out as much revenue and decrease expenses as much as possible, which is the general PE play. What they're saying, and I don't know if it's accomplishable, and I think we're all anxiously awaiting to see how this plays out, is that they're just going to take their whole portfolio of healthcare technology companies and try to put them into a test kitchen model with this health system and the people that I think have the most to lose from this are not as much the health systems. We have a lot to learn from whether this experiment works or not, but I'm wondering what Epic thinks about this or what the other incumbent tech companies that are really well entrenched in the traditional delivery model, what they think. Because I feel like that's going to be General Catalyst's first move is to say, Okay, let's take all these point solutions that we have in our portfolio and put them into a comprehensive framing of, okay, let's integrate them together and make them all work within the health system. And right now, Epic is the necessary evil, I guess, in healthcare. It's not like it's meeting all the needs, but it's definitely better than the alternative. I think that they have the most actually to lose from General Catalyst being able to integrate the tech. Because right now, what's in their portfolio, like some of their partners will pick it up, some of their partners, invest with them, but no health system is saying we're gonna take all of the technology, the best of every one of these tech companies and put them together in one place.
0: alright I'm gonna flip it back to the health system perspective. If part of our push is you have to think more like an investor because of all the reasons you just laid out, a lot of external forces, but internal as well. How's it gonna change strategy's role within that? Like, How are you seeing strategy teams adapt or adjust their role, how they work with others? especially finance, as they try to pivot the organization to think more like an investor.
1: That's the first step. Strategy teams are varying in their effectiveness in partnering with finance. You and I both, by virtue of our jobs, get the opportunity to talk to strategy leaders across the country, and they're working in really different models. There's not one strategy team model out there. There's variation. It's necessary because of structural things, because of market forces, all of the above. but. It's pretty infrequent that you see strategy teams really working totally embedded with the finance team. That's one of the things that we're trying to help strategists learn is that investors are using different measurement, different ways of identifying success or saying this is what success looks like. Traditional strategy metrics around market share and unique patient growth, although that's very important and that's a big part of SG2. We're also saying maybe think about your customer acquisition costs, which you need to work with finance and marketing on. Maybe think about the lifetime value of a patient and how if you capture this one patient, how much their healthcare spend will be able to come into your system versus another patient that spends very little on healthcare services. There's an element around just reframing for the strategist, like what does good even mean? and also thinking through how they can participate in this revenue diversification process that a lot of healthcare organizations are going to almost have to do by force because of the financial turmoil that's been happening. Those that maybe are on better financial footing right now had thought about this before and they've been working closely or their financial leaders are just very strategic in themselves and they have a very diversified revenue portfolio. This is all part of the evolving landscape, I think, and strategists are going to be continuing to be challenged, I'm sure, to work with other counterparts across the organization to continue to be effective.
0: Yeah, the job's not getting easier. All right, you pay closer attention than anyone to activity in this landscape. Why don't you give us a rundown of some of the, you talked about a couple of the really big ones. Talk about some of the other deals. Give us the things that may be off some other people's radars.
1: One thing that's interesting that's going on right now, and we've covered it quite a bit, we have our own AI experts here. So, you know, Andrew, I know you guys did a podcast very recently and AI pretty much buoyed the deal volume of quarter three. So we talk a little bit about where was the investment in 2022 and 2023 from both investors coming from a healthcare provider lens, but then also the VCs and the PE firms themselves investing in healthcare and AI was prevalent, but the deal volume was much slower over the last quarter. And if it weren't for AI, there would be like almost no healthcare digital health deals. So things are slowing down quite a bit, but AI and just the promise that it showed through the summer got people's attention. It's actually kind of interesting because we mentioned General Catalyst, but one of their AI plays, Olive, recently folded. And so there's a lot happening there that we're trying to figure out what the actual future is going to tell. But there's a lot of excitement right now around that. So that's where a lot of the deals are going. As far as to answer your question more fully about what might be a little less surface, because we hear about AI, I think, every single day whether it's in our personal lives or at work, is the things that AI might change and the other investments that kind of tag along. For example, Google is a company that's been creating AI and making investments along the way with Alphabet. Now, Alphabet's also heavily invested in biotech, biopharma. One of my predictions is that Google is going to start coming out with pharmaceuticals. They're using AI to create more technologies as it relates to potential therapeutics quickly. So there's a lot of that tag along. Whereas health systems are a lot more apt to put their money where their problems are. Even small and large health system investors were looking at things like risk management, employee safety, cybersecurity, areas that they're thinking, okay, we have these technology problems. So we're going to put some investment there because we know we're having problems. Likely all of our peers are having problems. So that feels a lot safer of a bet. That whole digital health AI kind of machine happening up top, but there's other things going on under the surface. And you definitely can see the trends shake out as far as health systems put their money where their issues are.
0: That's good. I like the way you frame that. Part of thinking like an investor is about the return. Uh, How much of your urging or the way you're talking about it or what you're hearing from health systems in this space is about them rethinking their financial sustainability? There's like the technology and the strategic alignment on one side. Talk about the financial side.
1: We'll end up doing an entire piece just on how to exit because that's actually one of the areas when I think about what is the rate limiting factor for a health system to think like an investor, the... Historical preference to wholly own all of their assets is getting in the way of a health system saying, okay, let's see if I can be a minority stakeholder in something because I know that it's a good future investment, and but then lose that control. Thinking about health systems, one area that's been also really hot this year a lot of healthcare leaders have been thinking about what's our strategy around is home based care services. So, whether that's the traditional home based care, but then we're getting into hospital at home, home diagnostics, lots of dollars going in that direction. So many health systems had previously divested from home based care because they were like, oh, this isn't a core competency of ours, so we're going to just get rid of it altogether. Had they had the attitude that maybe we could be not the ones running the business, but we could still have some control through minority stake interest in the business. Would that have saved them the effort now of having to go back and kind of rewind on that strategy and say, oh, now we have to think about, do we partner for this? Do we build out our own infrastructure, et cetera? That's one of the things, just thinking through the exit. And if there is an exit is the challenge in and of itself, I think for health systems, they're thinking about it like an investment in the community, which is very much part of their mission. But that's not exactly how it works in the investment community. And that's not what's going to set them up for the long-term success as it relates to financial sustainability when it comes to these investments opportunities. It's definitely a reframe, but I've seen more health systems becoming more comfortable with saying, you know, we can't own everything outright. We can't afford to, but we want to participate in developing these new care models or basically having some kind of skin in the game on what's the future of healthcare.
0: I like it. I think across the board, it's a strategic challenge for health systems. It's like, when do we say no? When do we get out? What's the go, no, go further decision? And this seems like taking it to uh, the next level. All right. We've done a lot of kind of the setup around the work that you did. Give us the meat. Like, How should health systems think more like an investor? What do I have to change? What do I have to do differently?
1: The way that we teed up this conversation for people to at least get a start about thinking about this was basically to say, Here's some things that private equity firms do in order to invest and make their investments work for them. Here's some things that venture capitalists do. Here's how the health systems can play in those spaces. Starting with the private equity personas, we talked about achieving economies of scale, monetizing or commercializing operations, and then entering new markets with that scale. Just to give a couple of examples of what I would see as health systems playing that out. So when you look at the economies of scale, we already talked about Ryzen. Kaiser had pretty big scale, but they just increased their scale and their ability to create more under this value-based care platform. They're acting like a PE there. They're acting like a roll-up. Now, it's not necessarily that new or different, but it doesn't have to be because now they have that extra power to come to the payer and say, hey, we have all, or to be the payer, but also to negotiate and say, hey, we have all this scale. We can grow bigger. Others might want to invest in them and invest in their assets. That's an example that we're seeing is new for healthcare, but not new for PE. Commercializing the operations of the healthcare entity, I think is pretty common. So I have some different examples in the briefing. A lot of health systems have been able to spin off some of their admin solutions. Like you've seen a few revenue cycle spin-offs happen over the years. I think we talk about Bon Secours Mercy specifically in the briefing, but I don't think they're alone in that. I mentioned how I feel like Google's going to start creating more pharmaceutical, either medication discoveries or other pharmaceuticals. There's health systems that are doing some really innovative things that could be commercialized into spin-offs. And that's pretty common for private equity to say, oh, we figured out something really well here. Let's spin this into a new company and then we'll sell it. I don't think health systems are as quick about that. Although some academic medical centers already have that core competency. And then when we think about entering new markets with that scale, a lot of the traditional mindset would say, well, the way to enter a new market is through M you know, we're going to buy the health system next door or whatever, that's not really what I was thinking about when I was thinking about what PE usually does. Looking at the 65 and over care models that have been developed, we touched on them a little bit with the disruptors piece as well, and conversations around that, but private equity often will see a care model or something that's working and say, okay, let's like plug this into every market that fits within the constraints or confines of the consumers that this particular model is capturing. I feel like health systems are doing that. Auctioner has scaled their 65 plus clinics into new markets and they're even partnering with Novant. There's other examples like that where they've discovered something is working and they're just putting it in every market possible that there's a patient population that it could serve.
0: Is thinking like an investor a play for all hospitals? Are there different approaches for an AMC versus a really large community health system versus a pretty small community health system?
1: Yeah. So in the piece, we talked a little bit about the financial requirements and a little bit about other resources, mostly the personnel requirements, thinking a little bit about the venture capital personas. When we talk about late-stage investing, that usually requires a lot of capital. It also requires a lot of expertise because the risk is high. You're usually putting a big bet on a company that's already somewhat established. They're hopefully creating their own revenue. When you look at late-stage investors that are healthcare providers, you're looking at the Providence, Kaiser etc. Places that have had funds that are going for a while are well-funded funds and that the leadership team at those organizations is all behind the strategy, but they've been able to bring in talent that's pretty sophisticated on venture capital and how to assess the various investment opportunities. Whereas with the earlier stages or with participating in a collaboration type of model, like what LRB does or um, Ascension is a collaborative investor, you can go in with your friends so that that kind of de-risks the investments or you can go really, really early stage and just host an incubator type of situation. So a lot of AMCs are great for that because they have a ton of students with a lot of ideas. I think we put a piece in about Johns Hopkins. They host an incubator, Cedar sinai host an accelerator because they have all these really excited, energized young people in one place that might come up with the next big solution. And that's pretty low cost and low risk. The smaller, more rural health systems can definitely still participate. You don't see them not part of this. They might just do more of the collaborative approach because they're not bringing as many dollars to bear, but they still have their own unique perspective. And one thing that we're going to be talking about a little bit, I think, in the next iteration of this work is around how strategic investors like health systems investing in a healthcare startup actually help that startup be more successful. The early data shows that if a startup has a corporate investor that's aligned with their consumer base, so like a health system and a healthcare startup would be, that they're much more likely to have a successful exit than to file for bankruptcy or close. It basically changes the whole paradigm. And I think that's interesting and exciting because typically venture capital backed companies, it's like a less than 10% chance of success. So if that can go up because of... Working with a health system as one of your investors, they may not be able to bring the dollars, but they bring some expertise that really helps get those companies off the ground.
0: That's really good. I like that to close on. Hopeful note, um, not all of our podcasts get to end on a hopeful note or a reason health systems are better positioned than some others in a given space. Cassie, thanks so much for sharing. Really interesting research. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at SG2Perspectives at SG2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.